Hello, and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grow. I'm your host, Ewan Sang. This episode, I'm joined by Olivia Sibine. Olivia is an award-winning entrepreneur making the top 10 UK Women Entrepreneurs 2019 in the Wise 100 Top Women in Social Business a trailblazing ethical investment champion who left a career at Goldman Sachs to launch her food tech startup, Grub Club, which she sold to Eat With in 2017. She went on to launch Seed Tribe, a platform focused specifically on connecting impactful businesses marrying profit and purpose with investors. She's a board member of UCL's Fast Forward 2030, which aims to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to launch businesses that address the UN's Sustainable Development Goals as well as being Vice Chair of the Mayor of London's Women in Clean Tech Task Force. She's also an advisor to the UK Department for International Trade, enabling more impactful entrepreneurs from around the world to scale their businesses relocate to the UK. Liv is driven by the desire to see a world where all businesses marry profit and purpose. She feels that entrepreneurship and meaningful collaboration play a key part in achieving this goal. What do you think the role is of small to medium-sized business, what should it be in the context of protecting the planet? I think we've reached a point in history where we cannot ignore the problems we currently have in the world. And ultimately, when we think about people and planet, you know, at the end of the day, I believe the planet, if you're just thinking about healthy planet, it'll be much better off if it doesn't have us. So it doesn't need us to be healthy. The reason we care about a healthy planet is so that we as humanity can live a happy, thriving life on it. But it's come to this sort of crunch point whereby it is getting really, really, really critical. And we are really behind targets on the sustainable development goals, as an example. So for me, I think it's important to continuously remember that people and planet are inextricably linked. We care about the planet so that we can be happy there. But at the same time, it's it's non-negotiable through which it's all wonderful to sort of support communities, etc. But unless it's done in an environmentally positive way, what's the point in supporting societies if, they, if we don't have a, a healthy home that we can actually live in? So even though ultimately the goal is making people happy and creating a fairer, more engaged society, unless the foundations are there. And if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, a safe home now constitutes a planet, not just, you know, what he was referring to as a a roof above our head, which of course we need, but we need healthy soil to (laughs) keep under our feet and, you know, food to eat. So this is for me why this is of the utmost importance. And the ideal businesses are the ones that marry the two together because they understand why humanity needs to thrive in a healthy environment. So I think the more we can create policies that incentivize, not even incentivize, stick and carrot, right? So incentivize, but also just make it non-negotiable for businesses to have at a minimum net zero, but ideally regenerative perspective on the environment, the quicker we're going to get there. So with, you know, the likes of COP, there is an increasing focus on taxing our waste and being accountable for our entire supply chain and the energy that we use, you know, making it as renewable as possible and incentivizing shared transport and environmentally smart cities, et cetera. 
So I think there's business imperative that we should all just embed this. There's the stick, which is that, you know, increasingly we're going to be taxed for any negative environmental impact we have. So might as well anticipate these taxes as much as possible and just embed better behaviors. Again, if you're just thinking of a purely financial drive for it. But again, there's just that pure joy again. You and I were just talking before the recording about the the joy of you moving to the countryside and having being immersed in nature. And it is just, it's so good for the soul. And there's so much happiness that can be derived from living in a healthy environmental ecosystem. So I think there's a need for it in lots of different ways. Now, beyond that, is that the purpose of your company or is the purpose of your company completely different, but you're actually looking to embed environmental behaviors into your business. And for example, you know, if you're a consultant, then you could also make it your purpose to only work with companies that are contributing positively to the environment. So you may in yourself not be necessarily purposeful if you're an accountancy firm or a law firm, etc. But actually, you could still very much choose the kinds of organizations that you work with and choose to only work with ones that are contributing positively to the environment. That's really interesting. And, and I think you mentioned that you articulated so beautifully uh, before we came on the call around, we've got parts of the UK economy which have purpose-driven outputs. And the other part, which I think we said was, you know, perhaps the largest chunk. And with that, the largest potential for change are those organizations which perhaps don't have a purpose-driven output, but want to be purpose-driven themselves as a business. And to your point again about working with suppliers who are looking to reduce or, or have regenerative value in terms of carbon consumption. As with so much in the world, it's driven by money. If we talk about business, it, you're fundamentally profit about margins, so on and so forth. And I think that, you know, the more that we can do as founders to send signals to perhaps to the larger corporates and suppliers, energy companies, and so on and so forth, the more that we can do this, the more likely they are to listen to make changes, right? And I feel that's the, the point. I think that what we want to try and do is help these founders who perhaps think, oh, I do want an accounts firm or a law firm. What difference can I make? And it's for them to understand that they can make a huge difference. And part of that, I feel, is, as you say, is the urgency of the situation that we are in now. And, you know, I've been listening to more podcasts and reading more into it. And, and it's absolutely terrifying, you know, the consumption that we do. And it's driven by commerciality, consumerism. And as founders, I think it's so important that we, first of all, become more aware of it, and then we are more activist in how we approach it. And one absolutely terrifying statistic that I heard in the fashion industry, and I didn't realize just how horrible the fashion industry is, that less than 1% of clothing is recycled. And you think like two-pound t-shirts and all the rest of it, less than 1%. The amount of garments that get wasted before even making it onto the shelves let alone those that get onto the shelves and then most of them don't get recycled. It's every single part of the chain is broken. Let's take the fashion industry. So there's a huge problem. And, you know, after food and transport, it's very top of the list. At the same time, you can turn it on its head and think, my goodness, there's so many amazing opportunities to be able to transform that. And from a business perspective, it's I find it really exciting. You can develop systems that can help trace the whole supply chain in order to make it more transparent, both in terms of human rights, but also in terms of the environmental impact. You know, you've got new technologies like blockchain and AI, which also help continuously improve it and help with that traceability. You have incredible physical technology you can use in terms of creating that economy effect. 
There's a wonderful startup that I was working with last year, which essentially, this is how I found out that it's such a small percentage of garments actually make it onto the shelves. So there is an enormous percentage of clothing at different stages of its process that never, ever gets onto the shelves and literally goes to landfill, especially when it's in the sort of designer part of the process, whether that's, you know, Zara or Burberry, sort of anywhere along the H&M, whatever it is. And they actually end up burning it because they don't want their brands to be diluted. So this woman essentially created a platform. It's a sort of three-way marketplace where up-and-coming independent designers go on to find all of these surplus garments and they can bid for the garments, which are very cheap because they would have gone to waste anyway. And they then create a new item of clothing. So the original brand, it's nothing to do with them anymore. They're monetizing stuff that they were going to have to pay to remove. They're reducing their carbon footprint, which they might ethically care about. And certainly financially, they're going to be caring about soon enough. You've just sort of found a whole new life for these garments that were going to go to waste. And independent designers get a new source of income, this platform creativity. And then the third part of the market basis, of course, is then they would sell it onto the platform and then consumers would buy it. I find all of these problems, if we turn them into challenges, suddenly you're reframing it. And there's just these incredible business opportunities at every stage. And I, for example, get approached by a lot of different organizations. And I only work with suppliers, consultants, et cetera, who specifically are purpose-driven. And what I mean by that is, if it's an accountancy firm or a law firm, I would recommend them to my network of entrepreneurs if I know that they are specifically looking to only work with entrepreneurs who have a social or environmental mission. So I think there's a good business case for just targeting socially, environmentally driven companies, consumers, et cetera, because actually there's a growing market out there as well. Some of the key challenges when you're running a business, things like, as you say, clients, they'll be drawn to businesses or, or companies that have that kind of social and environmental impact focus or driver, attracting talent. Work has changed so dramatically, certainly for the post-COVID generation particularly, but even before that, where jobs were much more transient, salaries or remuneration is like third or fourth on the list of the reasons why you join an organization. And the higher up that list is going to be things like purpose and the values of that organization. So I think you're absolutely right. One thing that I've always been interested to find out, I'd be very interested to know your opinion of this as well, it's obviously in regards to kind of investment as well. We talked a little bit or mentioned a little bit about selling, getting people to buy in, you know, creating that belief from an investor's perspective. And I guess just in a wider kind of business context as well, how do you reconcile that profit and purpose? What's your process there? How do you work with those things? How do you balance those things with the people that you work with? So the businesses that I actively work with, either through Seed Tribe or Impact Amplified, actually with every single one of my hats, are actually purpose-driven. And by that, I mean that the business model itself is addressing a social or environmental challenge. That means that there is no compromise between profit and purpose. The more social or environmental value you deliver to society, the more profit you will make. Gosh, you could have any kind of examples. You know, COVID has shot mental health to the top of the agenda. So now suddenly any app or software that enables sort of better employee welfare or your own mental health, et cetera, is going to, you know, have a a very important positive impact. So the more systems you sell, quite simply, the more money you're going to make and the better, the more positive impact you're going to have. Clean tech is even more straightforward, isn't it? The more carbon you remove or the more waste you turn into energy or another resource, then, you know, the better it is and the more money you make. 
so for me, those are really, really straightforward and sort of there's just no compromise. I think when it's a little bit grayer, it's really important to understand that any business can continuously improve to be more and more purposeful, even if the business model itself is not impactful. It's sort of looking at those choices. And then it's sort of, then I think there are potentially compromises to make, but it's around thinking more systemically, does that help you in the long term? So the more difficult ones, for example, are Tom's Shoes type examples of businesses whereby for every pair of shoes that someone buys, they're going to give another pair to someone in need. So that's a wonderful example of a business that's done exceedingly well. And I, I, I've never had their shoes, but I guess they, they must be good shoes. But certainly I do believe that their values is what really helped propel them to the next level. And they're an extremely profitable company. The challenge there is, of course, partly you could sort of say the PR effect of it and probably the employee engagement has contributed significantly to their success. At the same time, there's no denying that, you know, production costs are double because they sell one pair of shoes and they've got to give one away. So there is a compromise there, but then you need to look beyond that and how does that help the actual purpose of your company? And then there's, you know, more balanced areas where you might be offering services to companies. And then you can just choose the types of clients that you're going to work with, whereby there is no compromise. And as I was mentioning in the examples of the impactful businesses I work with, there is no compromise. So you can look at very, very profitable companies that also have a social or an environmental impact. They're specifically not charities. I really believe that you need to embed profit into your business model, into your purposeful model, because that is the way that you're going to deliver more and more impact over time rather than begging on different doors for money and never knowing if the money's going to come through or what strings are going to be attached. So I would urge anyone to choose their clients very carefully and work with those because then you don't have to make any kind of compromise. You can have very, very profitable business while also feeling good that you're delivering value within a positive ecosystem. I could not agree with you more. It's, it's very, very interesting, isn't it? Especially on that side of choosing to work with different brands, different clients that have that positive impact societally or environmentally. I heard somewhere that Unilever, which is often, you know, the poster child of evil farmer, fast moving consumer goods and things like this, but even they, you know, are making some big movements in terms of the circular economy, carbon labeling for their products and things like that. So there are, I suppose, behaviors in the market that we can reinforce as founders, as business owners, as consumers even, moving towards those brands and moving towards those initiatives that have got purpose and with that intention of, of creating a positive purpose and impact at its core. Yeah. Unilever is a good example, which is theoretically the poster child of good business. And when Paul Polman was there, I think he really, he was key driver in that. I believe that now he's left standards have slipped and it's become a lot more, I'm sure they're still great, but there's a lot of greenwashing, a lot of impact washing. And I think for me, it's really, really important to be as transparent as possible. If you're a company that is producing bleach, you're firstly selling stuff that's toxic for the environment and in plastic bottles. And I think for me, rather than sugarcoat it and go, oh, you know, we're giving back to the local community. It's really important to just be really transparent and say, look, we're not perfect. We are still selling stuff that is not great for the environment, but we're funding a lot of research into better packaging so that the packaging is as eco-friendly as possible. We're also looking at the ways to make more eco-friendly cleaning products that both clean and are not so bad for the environment. And 
we're not perfect, but we're along that journey. And I think that the troubles that Unilever have come into is that they suddenly became whiter than whites, talking about bleach. And suddenly they are held to greater accountability. And then people can more easily pick holes and then it becomes a quick downward spiral. So in my mind, you know, I think this is the challenge is that people love taking people down as well. So unless you're fully transparent and just go, none of us are perfect. We're just doing the very best that we can. This is the journey we're going on. These are where our gaps are. And please, community, consumers, employees, customers, please, by all means, feedback suggestions as to how we could do this better. And I think, again, just bring people along with you and listen to them and bring them in on the dialogue rather than just being like certain politicians and pretending uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing's ever happened. <laughs> That's not good there. But I feel like there's a lesson in the Unilever is absolutely gate there around that transparency. And that's not transparency at the almost like the, that direct kind of consumer end. But from what you're saying, having that transparency all the way back as well in terms of the suppliers into your business and being able to, that provenance as it were, and being able to kind of stand on that. Because that's something to be really proud of, as you say, it's something to, to kind of make some noise up. But if you are going to make that noise, make sure you can back it up is uh, the, the lesson from uh, from example in Unilever there. Exactly. I think vulnerability is really important and we need to embrace that both on an individual, but also on a company level. And by that, I just mean that openness and transparency to say, none of us are perfect, but we're mm-hmm. doing our best and we can do it better together. Thank you so much, Olivia, for joining us for this beautiful business podcast. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and it's always so inspiring to hear your story and what you're doing to create a positive impact in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.